It's good to sing God's words together. We get to sing the Psalms and encourage one another with those words. We're going to turn now to read God's word. And our reading is from Mark chapter 8. I think I might have said last week that this will be our last Sunday in Mark's Gospel for a while. But actually in my preparation this week, I, I sort of decided that I would split it up um, and will still be in Mark next Sunday as well. Um, but then that should finish us in Mark's Gospel. Uh, for a little while anyway, and we'll, we'll come back to Mark and do the second half of Mark at some stage in the future. But for today we're reading chapter 8 and verses 22 to 30. So if you have your Bible there, please have it open in front of you. As we read, we remember this is God's word. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And then we'll end our reading there, the end of verse 30. And we thank God that he blesses us when we read this truth. Well, folks, if you want to have your Bibles open to uh, Mark chapter 8 for me, we're going to be studying these verses together in the context of the whole book of Mark. Last week, we thought about it and we learned that Jesus' miracles weren't performed at random. There is a, a plan and a purpose behind the miracles that are recorded for us in the Gospel accounts. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't perform other miracles that aren't written down. It may be that he healed people from baldness, or from diabetes, or from cancer. In fact, at the end of John's Gospel, John writes, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I think we can say something similar about what we've learned so far in Mark's Gospel. Mark is recording certain and specific miracles for us. And his purpose is to challenge us, challenge you, as a reader of his Gospel, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's something we see in our passage today. In previous weeks, we've seen Jesus heal a deaf man. 
And he challenged his disciples, after he did that miracle, he challenged his disciples with the rhetorical question, having ears, do you not hear? He's saying, you're like the deaf man, you have ears, but you can't hear. Well, in our passage today, we read about Jesus healing a blind man. And this is just after he has asked a similar question, having eyes, do you not see? So Mark is clearly lining these miracles up for us to make a point. You see, the, the physical wholeness of healing that Jesus brought to the deaf and the blind, that's an illustration to us of the spiritual wholeness, of the, the healing from sin that comes through belief in him as the Christ, the Son of God. Our passage splits neatly into two sections. But these two sections actually tell the one story. They tell us what it means to clearly see who Jesus is and to believe in him as the Christ. I want us to do a quick overview of the healing of the blind man before moving to how it applies to us with Peter's confession. Last week, we left Jesus and the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And they land somewhere near Bethsaida, we're told that at verse 22, and in Bethsaida they bring a blind man to Jesus. And the healing miracle that follows, well it's very similar to the healing of the deaf man. Jesus uses spit and touch to communicate with someone who didn't have use of all of their senses. Now, again, I'm not really too worried about getting into why Jesus put spit in this man's eyes, but the suggestion I've read in the commentaries, uh, in case anybody's wondering, is that it was common at the time for healers to use spit in healing. And so it might simply have given the man reassurance that Jesus was a healer and that Jesus knew what he was doing. But I think what's really interesting for us about this miracle is the fact that it takes place in stages. In verse 24, the man's sight is healed, but only partially. We're told here in verse 24, he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Now, this applies to us that this man wasn't born blind. He, he knew what a tree looked like, but he also knew they didn't walk around. But like, remember those old Tom and Jerry cartoons? You know whenever Tom the cat is really, really hungry and he sees the mouse but all he can see is like a leg of ham running around? The man knew that what he was seeing wasn't real. The, the miracle was only partially complete. He could see but not properly. He saw people but they looked like trees. Well then look on to verse 25 which tells us then he, that's Jesus, put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. His eyesight is totally and perfectly restored. He now sees clearly. The second touch from Jesus brought full and total clarity to this man's vision. We've seen happen previously. The, the same thing that now happens, Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone. Don't go into the town or tell anyone in the town. Jesus did this to stop people from thinking that he was simply a miracle worker. 
Jesus' purpose for coming into the world was not to be a miracle worker. I've already said this, that the miracles Jesus does, and particularly the ones that Mark records for us, are not done to prove that Jesus can do miracles. They're done as a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. They're done to show that Jesus brings wholeness and healing spiritually. Jesus didn't come into the world to perform miracles. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came into the world to preach a gospel of repentance from sin and to die on the cross as a substitute for his people, taking the punishment for our sin. He came to preach and he came to die. He doesn't want people to get fixated on his ability to heal. Healing the blind man is much, much more than a healing miracle. It's about teaching the disciples that they need to open their eyes. They need to open their eyes of faith and to see Jesus as the Christ. To put their hope and their trust and their faith in him. This is where we come to the disciples and to Peter's confession. So far in Mark's Gospel, we've seen a, a great level of commitment from the disciples. They're really, really committed to Jesus, but there's not a great level of understanding. Up to this point in the Gospel, they've been willing to follow Jesus. They've left everything behind to do it. Family, livelihoods, they've left their fishing nets and they've gone to follow Jesus. But even though they are committed to following him, We've read time and time again about the lack of understanding of who Jesus is. Even last week, they were in the boat, and Jesus has just fed 4,000 people with only seven loaves and a few fish. And the disciples start to worry because they have no bread. They don't get it. They're willing to follow Jesus, but we have to wonder if they realize who he is, why he's come. They don't seem to get it. It's as if they can see Jesus is worth following, but they don't know why. They have no idea why. They simply don't get that he has come not only to lead them, but to save them. To die for them on the cross. To give them everlasting life. You see, they see Jesus, but he's like a tree walking around. Verses 27 to 30 of Mark uh, chapter 8 are the pivot on which the whole gospel turns. And finally, for the disciples, the penny drops. Look down with me at these verses, verse 27 30. They are out journeying along the road and they come to the towns of, uh, around Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is called that because it's named after Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. It was a Roman-occupied city. The people would have been very accustomed to proclaiming that Caesar is Lord. And so as they walk along, Jesus starts by asking the disciples a warm-up question. He asks them, Who do men say that I am? And the people answer, or the disciples answer, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah and others one of the prophets. There seem to be a number of opinions out there. We know that Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. 
And according to the disciples, the speculation doesn't stop with John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe another of the prophets. The people see Jesus and they know that he's different. They know that he's special, he's not like other people. But they haven't quite grasped exactly who he is. To them, they can see something different, but it's like a tree walking around. Their vision is blurry, they haven't got clarity. Same would happen today, wouldn't it? We could go out onto the streets of Murray and ask people, Who is Jesus? Just think about the answers you would get if you stood at the doors of Buttercream or, or if you went to, to Hunters in Market Hill or, or the yard at Fane Valley and you ask people, Who's Jesus? You'd get many answers, wouldn't you? Some of them we could even repeat in church. People would say he's a good man. He's someone who taught people how to be kind to each other. People would say he's a great teacher. He's the great teacher. He's a myth. He's a legend. People would have all sorts of opinions. They would recognize there is something different about him. They would know the name. I'm sure very few people would have nothing to say. Most people would find something to say about Jesus. People realize that he's different. They realize he's special. But to most people, it's like a tree walking around. There isn't full clarity about who Jesus is. Maybe that's you. Maybe you don't really get it. Maybe you haven't fully grasped who Jesus is. It's like you can see him through a steamed up window. You know he's there. You know there's something different and special about him, but you just can't see it clearly. You just can't put your trust in him. Let me see if we can unfold the glass for you. See if we can clear things up. If we look on to the second question Jesus asks in verse 29. But who do you say that I am? Before we come to the answer Peter gives, it's important to say this is a question for all of us. We can't duck, we can't weave our way out of answering this. It's the most important question any of us will be asked. Who is Jesus? Jesus himself makes it personal. He's asked about what people say, but now he's getting to the heart of his disciples. He's getting to your heart today. Who do you say he is? Forget about the people at the doors of Buttercream. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, we only need to read on a little more to see the answer that Peter gives. It's the correct answer. It's the textbook answer. After spending all this time with Jesus, watching the miracles, listening to the teaching, Peter speaks up and speaks on behalf of all of the disciples. And he finally gives the correct answer. The answer that Jesus has been leading him to up to this point. Look at verse 29. Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. I said it's a textbook answer. Jesus is the Christ. Now you know that I used to be a maths teacher. And many maths textbooks are like the Bible because the answers are at the back. The students used to think it was great. They could just look up the answers at the back of the textbook and write them down. But you know, if you spend any time in the classroom, what the teacher's got to do 
with that, can't accept the answer unless I see you're working out. Show me you're working. Show me how you got that answer. Don't just point me to the back of the book. And so behind each answer, there's lots of working out. And it's the same with Peter's answer here. There's lots of working out behind it. Peter gives us the answer at the back of the book, but maybe it would be helpful to, to unfold the glass if, if we can unpick some of his working out. Frankly, I, I really hope it's not new to us. We've been looking at this the whole way along. That's how Mark began the gospel. Mark really told us what he was going to try and prove, that Jesus is the Christ. But I want to take you back further than Mark. I want to take you right back to Genesis chapter 3. We studied it last morning. In Genesis 3 and verse 15, in the midst of his pronouncement of judgment upon Satan, Adam, Eve, God gives a glorious word of hope to Adam and Eve. He makes a promise of a saviour. This is what he says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity, I will make enemies between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. We've spoken about this promise before. The promised one is the serpent crushing. The one who will stamp on the head of the serpent and put an end to all the ways and works of Satan. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel in the Bible. The first announcement from God that he will send his rescuer toward his people. The first promise of a Christ. The word that Peter uses. The word Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. So we can use them both to describe Jesus. And the, the word itself means anointed one. The one who has been chosen. I'm set apart by God, fully and specially anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the saviour of God's people. Peter says, that's you, Jesus. That's who you are. We, we've seen you do all these miracles. We've heard all you have to teach us. I am sure not. You are God's Messiah. His chosen one. The one who has come from God to rescue his people. Jesus is the one who has come to destroy the devil and all of his works. Jesus is the one who has come to restore human beings into right relationship with God. Jesus is the one who will restore all things. The one who is promised and foretold throughout the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 and all words. Jesus is the one through whom we were called to worship God today. Knowing that in him and in him alone there is mercy and redemption from sin. He's the one we wait upon today. Peter's been watching. Peter's been listening. And it's taken some time. Finally, he has eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus is the Christ. The anointed Messiah of God come into this world to fulfill the promises and prophecies of the Bible. To bring us into the presence of God in perfect redemption. In Luke's Gospel, as Jesus begins his public ministry, he goes into the synagogue and he reads a section from the book of Isaiah. 
when he reads it, he says that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. I want to read that section for you now. These are the words that Jesus says are about him. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Remember, anointed means Christ. The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And I don't know about you, but that's a saviour I can trust in. If that's Peter's working out as, as he watched and listened to Jesus, he saw this vision and prophecy of Isaiah being lived out in this man before his very eyes. Peter's vision is clear. He says, you are the Christ. Let me wrap things up for us by repeating that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Peter's confession on behalf of all the disciples, it sets them apart. They are making a declaration that this is what the people say. They say you're John the Baptist, but we believe you're the Christ. Their vision is clear. Jesus is not a tree walking around. They don't believe what the world believes. This is a brave claim to make. Especially in Caesarea Philippi, Caesar is Lord. That would have been a common expression. So to proclaim allegiance to anyone other than Caesar. Well, it could, and we know it does, get the disciples into some bother. But that's the way for the people of God. We stand boldly, and we stand defiantly upon the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is Lord over and against what the world says. Over and against what the masses say. Over those standing outside Buttercream and Hunters of Fiend Valley who say he's a good teacher, he's a good man. <clears throat> we say our vision is crystal clear. And Jesus is the Christ. Most people have been persecuted. They were persecuted throughout biblical history. They've been persecuted since. We're holding to an opinion that was different from the masses. Been thrown in the furnace, thrown to the lions, tortured and killed, and all because we hold to the confession of Peter, Jesus is the Christ. That's where I stand today. I stand on that confession, and it's my hope, it's my prayer that you stand with me against the masses of this world, because when we're standing on Jesus, when we're standing on the confession that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we are standing in his church, under his banner, with his power and protection. Who do you say Jesus is? Let me pray for us.